Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And today is going to be one of those days where we're going to kind of flip the screen a little bit and, and take a look at an issue from what might be uh, the opposite view of what we would normally uh, approach it from. Um, very interesting topic and looking forward to getting to it. This is Jim Mitchell, and thank you all for being here with us again today. Um, right now we're faced with uh, kind of a changing economy and different views from a, from an upcoming generation regarding property and property ownership. And what that has led to has been uh, kind of a growth again in rental space for uh, living properties. Uh, renting seems to be on the rise, has been for several years. And what that's done is it created uh, some unique problems for landlords and property owners, whereas we have in the past talked about um, how you protect yourself from perhaps unscrupulous landlords. Today we're going to take a look at their point of view and figure out uh, how they will handle uh, problems with tenants, tenants who fail to meet their obligations by not paying on time or, or other issues. Uh, joining me will be one of the partners from Lavelle Law, Timothy Hughes. Tim has joined us uh, plenty of times in the past, always enjoy conversations with him. So we do want to get to this one and get started. Uh, first of all, Tim, thanks for taking the time today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Jim. Always glad to talk with you. So, you know, as I mentioned um you know, we've we've often looked at this and said, you know, the property owner seems to have the upper hand. Um, might not always be the case, and and you know, one of the things that that comes up is if if they are the owner and they've got a problem with a tenant who hasn't paid and hasn't paid for a particular period of time, um, you know, they they kind of own the lot, can't they? Get the maintenance guy to come in and change the locks and be done with the problem. Unfortunately, no. Once they hand keys over to the tenant uh, through a lease. That tenant has certain rights which essentially divest the landlord of the ability to change the locks because doing so would be viewed as a breach of the peace, and that's when um, the tenant can call the police to come in and uh, force the landlord to change the locks back. Hmm. And assuming then that the landlord perhaps tries to work with the tenant um, and explains, obviously, the situation, and they know that there's a problem, but the, but the tenant simply won't leave, um, what's the next step for the landlord then? Do they actually have to go to a, a lawsuit? Uh, yes. If they can't agree um, on uh, exit strategy for the lease, either by the tenant uh, compromising the balance of the lease or just the landlord forgiving the period of the remainder of the lease up to the date of possession. Then if the tenant will not leave voluntarily, the landlord's only option is to go to court. Tell me about that. Now we're talking about, a, I guess, what would be an eviction filing an eviction lawsuit of some sort, what, what's involved with that? What does the landlord then have to do? Sure. Uh, an eviction proceeding is what's called a summary uh, uh, hearing that the judge has very limited issues in front of them, which allows for the case to go relatively quickly. Uh, in an ideal world, uh, an eviction case should 
allow the landlord to get possession within about 45 days. And, of course, with all things in the legal world, that sometimes things don't go exactly as uh, uh, as shown on the blackboard, and there's delays, and uh, eviction proceedings can take weeks more than that, months more than that, and or longer. Uh, but the first step the landlord has to do is, if he has exhausted working the informal agreement with the tenant, he has to then say, all right, why am I kicking this tenant out? Is it because he's not paying me? or because he's uh, misusing the property, because he's brought in uh, lions, tigers, and bears, and other things in there, or brought in more people than are contracted in the lease, or not keeping up with the the maintenance of the property, not letting the lawn go, or not uh, doing whatever the lease said to do, and in which case then the landlord has to first give the tenant a notice saying, hey, you haven't paid me, which is typically a five-day notice, but sometimes it will be a 10 or other number of days depending upon the written contract, the lease between the landlord and the tenant. Now, of course, somebody out there is saying, hey, wait a minute, I don't have a written lease with the uh, guy, so I can just boot him out. Nope. That person has an oral lease, uh, which is as enforceable as a written one. It's just that the terms are not as well defined, but that tenant that has the keys to the property, even in an oral lease, is entitled to a uh, five-day notice or longer if the written lease provides that. And if there's a deficiency on a non-economic term, like not cutting the grass or not uh, uh, keeping the property safe, in a fashion, then the landlord has to give a 30-day notice to the tenant to see if they're taking steps towards curing that deficiency, kicking out the uh, extra bodies that uh, moved into the property. So not necessarily, as in most cases, a a quick and easy fix uh, process procedure and time all need to to have their, uh, their opportunity to play out there. Correct. So, you know, the landlord really, you know, upon finding a problem should act quickly because if the tenant won't informally agree to cure the problem, make payment, or resolve the other deficiency, then the notice is going to build in a delay and the landlord already kind of knows the answer by the informal uh, process of talking to the tenant and he knows that the tenant's not paying him, so it's always good to get that notice out quickly to protect the landlord should he have to take the next step of going to court. And he can only go to court after he's counted the number of days since he served that notice to the tenant. And if it's a five-day notice, day six, he can go to court. If it's a 30-day notice, that's a long time. He's got to wait 31 days till he can run to court. Okay. We're talking to Tim Hughes, a partner at Lavelle Law Limited, a frequent guest here on the podcast, and we're, we're looking at remedies for a landlord who may be forced to deal with a tenant who is not paying rent or perhaps uh, violating the lease in other ways. Um, you may recognize Tim from some of the discussions we've had in the past and, and strongly suggest you follow some of the things he does, including his uh, monthly newsletter, Tax News on the 10th, uh, TNT, as he likes to call it. We find that uh, along with our other articles at LavelleLaw.com. So uh, stop by there to, to get further updates. 
Um, now, Tim, you know, naturally a, a landlord is, is using the rental property as a means of income, and, you know, they budget accordingly just like the rest of us would for our, our monthly income. Um, you know, I assume when they, they sign a lease, they reasonably expect to receive payment um, during the duration of that lease. So if a tenant doesn't pay and is, in fact, evicted, you know, what happens to the landlord? Do they just forego the remaining rental that they expected to receive for the existing term of the lease? Uh, very good question and a tough one to kind of uh, convince a landlord um, about pursuing their rights because if that tenant, or I'm sorry, if that landlord has a three-year lease with the tenant and the tenant defaults after a year, you know, contractually he is expecting a three-year stream of income coming in, but if he has to evict the tenant after a year, He's got a vacant unit, which, like you said, is incurring mortgage costs, is incurring real estate uh, tax expense, insurance expense, and just utility expense for keeping it safe in the winter or summer or whatever. And that landlord can go after the tenant for the balance of the uh, contracted period, However, the landlord has to mitigate his damages, meaning try to get somebody in there. And, um, uh, you know, the cost of getting somebody in can be assessed against the former tenant. Uh, And the difficulty is that the landlord had a tenant in there that was supposed to be paying and didn't, and typically most people's primary uh, budget or their budget, you know, covers food and housing. And if they can't pay their housing, they are going to be a difficult defendant to collect against because they may be what we call judgment-proof, meaning that they don't have the income and assets to satisfy a judgment. So it's tough telling a client who's a landlord, yes, you're right, yes, they owe you the money, but they can't pay. Uh, So... It's always good to address the problem as quickly as possible to try to get a new tenant in there and work something out uh, uh, with the past tenant if you know his employment or other uh, ability to uh, satisfy a judgment. And and if they do get a judgment, then is there another process they have to follow to, to collect and get hold on that then? Yes. It's what we call supplemental proceedings where... Uh, the landlord then has to pursue uh, citations, wage garnishments, and other devices like that to try to collect on the judgment if the defendant is not going to be approaching the landlord or the plaintiff to uh, satisfy that judgment. And we talked there particularly the last minute or two about a condition in which someone has not paid their rent. We're talking about a financial obligation. What if someone is evicted for actually damaging the property? Is it just as difficult to go after them to try and help them uh, or or make them be responsible for the cost of repairs? Yes, uh, same thing, that that tenant is in possession of the property until the judge orders them out, and typically the judge will make a finding for a money judgment if that was pled in the complaint by the landlord, or if the landlord is just trying to get in there quickly, the judge may say, okay, uh, judgment for the landlord against the tenant, but the tenant has seven days or 14 days to move out. 
Uh, judges will not expect or order the person to be out that day of court. They give them a short period of time to move out, not a short period of time to find a new place and then move out. It's time to move out, and judges usually give 7 or 14 days, depending upon the length that the tenant has been in the property, the tenant situation with family. If it's a uh, unwed mother with four infants, the judge will likely give uh, 14 days. If it's somebody that just moved into the property three months ago and is single, likely get uh, seven days. Okay, now but I'm going to ask you. Oh. Well, go ahead. I'll let you finish up. Sure. Uh, but only after the tenant vacates is the landlord actually have access to the property who can then see the condition of the property. And then, yes, he can go back and say, you've damaged my property by whatever uh, uh, costs it needs to repair, the plumbing, the electric, uh, the painting, carpeting, whatever. Okay, well, I, I, what I want to do is uh, talk to you a little bit about the impact of the landlord from a tax perspective, because I know that's a great deal of, of what you focus on in, in your practice. We're just about out of time. It may be a whole other podcast, but is there a quick answer to how that impacts uh, an income tax perspective for the landlord? Well, the lost income stream is income the taxpayer or the landlord doesn't have to pick up as income. The expenses relating to the eviction are a cost related to the management of the property, so the landlord can deduct those uh, or offset prior income. And uh, depending upon, uh, you know, the uh, length of the or the costs on renovating the property, that may have to be capitalized or can be expensed. Well, with, um, with that, I'm going to wrap up, and, and I will just make a statement that I know uh, Tim and all of his colleagues frequently make, which is before you enter into agreements of any sort like this, best thing is to get yourself a good agreement, and the folks at LavelleLaw.com have a great deal of experience there. So before you uh, buy property, you enter into an agreement as a landlord or property owner. It's always best to have a, a good, solid uh, contract in hand that's going to help uh, maybe prevent some of these situations from from coming up. So, as always, my thanks to Tim Hughes for taking the time today. Very informative, as always. Um, don't forget, as we mentioned, LavelleLaw.com, a great place to go for some further information. And, of course, stick with us. Uh, Tuesdays, 4 o'clock Central is when we're here. We look forward to having you join us again in the future. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 